Plantation SDA Church presents The Bible Unmasked. Read your Bible daily and join us every Sunday at 7.30pm for our weekly discussion. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation. Let's read the entire Bible in 2021 with The Bible Unmasked. Welcome to episode 46 in The Bible Unmasked. 46. 46. We're getting to the end of this, um, and we're, uh, you know, going to be zipping right through the um, the uh, New Testament here. The Old Testament always goes fast. I know when I read through the Bible, which is, you know, every year, I, I actually read through the New Testament twice because it goes too fast, and I enjoy it too much. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, now with episode 46, we're, we're going to be uh, heading into... Um, the, uh, the the last few chapters of John and the first couple chapters in Acts. So we're very, very excited um, to, to be doing that with you this evening. Uh, we want to encourage you to be involved in this Bible study with us, especially now that we're starting the, uh, the uh, you know, getting deeper into the New Testament. If you're just jumping in, this is a good time to jump in. We've just finished the first three synoptic gospels that is matthew mark and luke and now we're into john who puts his very special spin on the very personal spin on the jesus story so i always enjoy the book of john it is more relational than the other three and something that we're really going to enjoy our goal is to finish the bible by the end of december that's 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 the goal so that's bible read the bible through the end of 2021 um, the reading plan is shared weekly during the Sabbath service and on social media. Please invite friends and family and co-workers to test their questions in advance to 954-388-8780. One more time, 954-388-8780. And one more time just for fun because I'm a <laughs> And I know you've got to do things three times before they stick, and you're just reaching for your pen. You want to write it down, 954-388-8780. And you'll notice on TV, they always do it three times as well. There's a cycle. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Okay. So every single week, it's a, a group of pastors and myself. I'm the principal, Robert Stevenson, from the Sawgrass Elementary School just across the parking lot. We'll address your questions. Please subscribe to the Plantation SDA Church's YouTube channel so that you can always be notified about future episodes and be able to compare what you read with what we say. And sometimes the questions that we have are different to the questions you may be asking. So so, uh, we're going to cover new ground together. My co-presenter this evening will be Pastor Jennifer Hernandez. Aloha. Aloha, Pastor Jen. It's so nice to uh, spend this uh, couple hours with you this evening going through this. And uh, before we jump in, Pastor Jen, I'm going to ask you to pray us into today's episode. All right. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this opportunity, Father, to open your word freely and read, Father. We know that there are many places in this world where... um, 
believers are not able to do that, Lord. And so we are just so blessed to be able to not only open your word and read, but learn more about how you love us, Lord, and how you are working in our lives. And so, Father, we ask, Lord, that you be with our episode tonight, Father. May our answers be satisfactory to you, Father, and and may it not only answer the questions of the viewers, Lord, but may it draw them to a deeper understanding and a deeper yearning for you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. <laughs> All right. So we're okay. So last week's meeting was John 1 through 12. Yes, we did. Jen, Jen, are you ready to jump in for a few minutes and sort of just cover some of the highlights of that? Yes, we, uh, well, as you know, if you have been reading John 1 through, 1 through 12, um, it's, let me just go back and look at all my sticky notes. Um, we talked about John being a, a, a witness and his encounter with Nathaniel, um, what happened with the Samaritan woman at the well. In fact, let me check to see all the questions that we, we went through. Um, we looked to see what, how else was God, Jesus involved in creation? Um, and what was this what was the situation between between philip and nathaniel what was the significance of nathaniel sitting under a fig tree why why was the wedding in which he performed his first miracle why was that um, such a significant event we talked about jacob's ladder and when we compare it to the beginning and then the comparison or the parallel that comes in John 1 verse 50, how was this significant? How was Genesis and John significant? What did God, um, who did God represent on the ladder? We talked about um, where, where did Enoch, Elijah and Moses go? Yeah. And then once again, we talked about the woman at the well. Why? What was the difference between Samaritans and the Jews? Why didn't they associate with one another? Why did Jesus heal on the Sabbath? And what was the significance of his healing? What was the significance of the man and, and what it meant when Jesus said, go and sin no more? Was it or is it your sin that keeps you from being healed. And so while the reading was from John 1 through 12, those few questions were excellent questions for last week. And those were the topics that we covered last week. All right. So now we're into, um, let's see, where are we now? Acts. John, still on John. John 13 through Acts 7. Mm -hmm. is this week's reading and we've got some great questions and uh, so after the brief overview thank you Jen for that our first question comes from John 13 verse 8 and um, a very very dramatic story uh, one, one of one of my favorites I actually preach a wicked sermon on this one 
No, Peter said, you shall never wash my feet, Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. What does it mean to be washed by Jesus in this context? In this context, well, first we have to we have to look at who Jesus was, right? The disciples um, considered him their rabbi, their teacher. The teacher doesn't wash feet. The people sit at the feet of the rabbi to learn. And so for, for Jesus to tell Peter, now I'm going to wash you. What happens when um, they come into, into homes is the first thing that they do, because they've been walking through the streets and so forth, is the grimiest thing is going to be the feet, right? And so the servants are the ones who come and wash the feet of the men. But he, then here comes Jesus. I mean, just set the scene and imagine Jesus coming at you, you're a disciple, you're, you're used to sitting at the feet of Jesus and just listening or watching, being a part of the event. And then Jesus is coming at you and he has the towel and he has, he has the bowl of water, you know, and then he's telling you, well, I'm going to wash your feet. This is, this was a no go for Peter. This was no rabbi teacher. You don't touch my feet. This is humiliating. This is, you're not my servant. Where's the servants? Servants. You know, come on, but but Jesus is now teaching them humility. He's teaching them self-sacrifice. He knows the pride that could even be in their hearts. Jesus knows what's going to happen to him. He's been telling them all along, listen, I'm going to leave you in, in, in different ways. You know, I'm not going to be here. And so he's setting them up now. How to how do you love? Well, the first thing you got to do in love is you need to be humble. You need to be able to serve. And so this is what it meant to be washed by Jesus. Jesus is teaching them humility. How do you serve your brother? And the most grossest thing at that point, you know, what they thought of in society was you don't touch the feet. And this is exactly directly where Jesus was going. And in order, he's telling Peter, if you don't, accept this and I, then you have no part of me. Peter needed to feel and see this humiliation. He needed to, he needed to see it because unbeknownst to him, he's going to, in the near future, go through this same humiliation. He's going to be the one serving. And so he needed to experience this from the, from the rabbi and know how to do this. And, and, and I I think also, and I just want to piggyback on that, you know, Jesus' Jesus's disciples were constantly jockeying for position, the 12, uh, or where they were going to be in the kingdom. And, and, this, and what we're seeing here is the preamble to Christ's crucifixion. Right. And it's Christ's last ditch effort to try to help his disciples understand what his kingdom was all about. Mm-hmm. And so when he gets down to wash his feet, he's inviting his disciples to enter into a spiritual relationship with him. Yes. To give up the haughtiness, to give up the desire for power, and to recognize mm-hmm. it's not about power, it's about service. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. It's really powerful because, you know, back then the feet were nasty. They didn't wear nice enclosed shoes like we did. And right. the sewer system was throwing it out into the street. Okay, and then the animals did what they did on the street. Yes. 
you know? And so when people came in, they could have been perfectly clean and showered before they walked in, but their sandal-covered feet were pretty nasty. That's okay. right. Pretty nasty. So when somebody got down to, you know, it's not like nowadays where we have communion and somebody pulls their feet out of clean shoes and clean socks and they're all shrivelly and nice and ready to be clean. I mean, these 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 were nasty feet. And if you've ever worn sandals mm -hmm. without socks, and only nerds wear socks. <laughs> I, hate, I, I, hate, I hate to break that to you. I knew you were going to go there. It's okay. But, but you know how slimy your feet get and how wet they get and then all that nasty dust gets in between your toes and that nastiness. So when your feet get washed, not only does it feel good, but you're cleaning some serious filth off people's feet. So when Jesus do that, he was showing a level of humility that in our whitewashed Western overly clean world, we can't even wrap our minds around. Mm -hmm. That's right. So, you know, it, it was a huge statement. It was a huge statement of humility and showing why, why he was there. So thank you, Jen. That was incredible. We're going to jump into the next one now, which is John 13, 10 through 11. Okay. And this is, this is just, just continuing on the story. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you, for mm. you is going to betray him. That was why he said not everybody was clean. And the question is, is this passage applicable today? And what does it mean to be clean? Hmm. <laughs> so, of course, we're piggybacking on the previous question. We're just thinking, you know, of the feet. So... Let's tackle the first part. What does it, is this applicable? Um, of course, we're alluding to baptism now, right? So I, li I like this, as I was researching this question, and I'm thinking about this question, I like, um, you know, you when we, when we prepare for these, it takes a few hours to do so, right? We got to read through not only one, but several resources. So I, I like what one author says. It begins with a bath. You know, the initial coming to Christ. Um, we've been somehow, either we've known Christ before or, or we've just gotten to know him. And, and so now we just, we're just so happy. We're converted. Um, we we want to say, hey, come meet this man that I know. And so we're coming to him. We are allowing him to cleanse us, right? We when we step into that baptismal pool, it's 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 that watery grave. Everything is everything is going to go. And all the past that that we have come from is is done. It's dust. It's out of the question. And so now it's it's that initial coming to Christ. So what happens when? When you get baptized, right, you're you're clean, but then there's still parts of you that are going to be dirty. You know, life is going to happen. You're going to do things. But does this mean that you have to get baptized every single time that something happens? No, right? You you this this is your daily act of repenting, asking for forgiveness. And so when we're looking at it from this time um, in the Bible at this service of humility, Jesus is saying, 
your whole body is already clean, clean. You've already, you know, these men, you have walked, you, you, when, when you come out to, to dinner and, and you come to one of these houses, you've already cleansed yourself, your whole body is clean. The only thing that's dirty of you, like you said, because you're walking the streets and you're walking in everyone else's stuff, the only part of you that's dirty is your feet. So you're not going to have to, before you enter the household, you're not going to have to take another bath all over again. You're just going to have to have your feet washed. So this is what we're talking about. When you come to know Jesus, when you become clean, you don't have to go through the whole process of rebaptism every single time something happens in your life. You go through repentance every single day you know, and a renewing of your life every single day. This is what it means to be clean. Now, when you think about Judas, and it says there is one who was not going, um, not everyone was clean. This is going to be Judas because his whole heart wasn't in there. He was already, he's already planning to betray Jesus. Every, all, all the disciples, all their hearts were there, but there's one. And then someone goes, well, you know, then there's a thought, well, why is there this just then this one person? How come God could not convert Judas's heart? You know, did he harden it? But then you think if this never happened, if Judas did not have that heart to betray him, then the whole process of this needed to happen, the whole process of Jesus, you know, being betrayed and going to die on the cross, then that would have taken on a whole other story. It wouldn't have happened the way it should have. Right. right. No, you, 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 just that, 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 foot, that foot washing is just after our baptism and our general cleaning is just maintenance. Mm-hmm. It's, I like that. I like that. It's a maintenance. Know, it's like a car. You know, we're all dealing with, with sins and struggles and things like that. It's recognizing that we just need maintenance on those sins that we deal with every single day that we mm-hmm. need to be held accountable for. And so that was beautiful, Jen. Awesome. We're going to go into our next question. Now, and our next question is in three parts. And so it says, and this goes into uh, John 13, verse 14. It says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. And the first part of this question, we partake in communion, including the foot washing ceremony, quarterly. Mm-hmm. Is there any particular reason why we only partake in communion once a quarter? Other denominations do it more frequently, like uh, weekly or monthly. Is this wrong? Are there biblical guidelines? about the frequency of communion. That's the first part. Hmm. I have never, (laughs) this is the first time I've heard this question posed. So when we're saying we, we're talking about we as Adventists, right? Why do we as Adventists do it quarterly? So I went searching for something in one of the ministry handbooks and so we Adventists, so, so, so this is just what I read now. Those of you who might want to contradict, you can go ahead and, and, and look for yourself what you may find. But we, there's no, I, what it says is there's no real reason why it's quarterly. But we're going by the 1 Corinthians 11, 25, and 26. And Paul says in this, this 
do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you shall do, do until you shall show the Lord's death till he comes. And so it's really up for interpretation on how many times we think we should do it. We know that some, some churches do it every single Sunday. You know, is it bad? No, there is a thought. There's a thought that, well, if you do it so often, then it becomes less special. I don't quite believe that. It really depends on a person's heart, I believe. But there really is. I couldn't find any biblical guideline that has a set time, you know, that you should do it a certain time or, or as many times. And so... <laughs> I think it's just what we have adopted as an Adventist culture. We think, you know, well, let's do it quarterly and <laughs> just keep to that. And not all churches do foot washing. Mm-hmm. You know, some churches do the the, the 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 bread and the wine, right? More often, but as far as the foot washing is concerned, I, I'm not aware that the Catholic Church does that. For instance, I'm not mm-hmm. sure what other Protestant churches do. I, I think the Baptists also and the Methodists also do it quarterly. I think it may have come from the Methodist tradition because uh, the Seventh-day Adventist church structure is based on the Methodist church structure. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I just think there, there are some traditional, um, some, some traditions that we're following, but you, you, you're right. And I couldn't find anything that said, this is how often you should do it. I don't think that's part of the, uh, part of the discussion. So there's also not only a, not only with the often I mean different cultures do when when I think about the um the bread and the wine right I was surprised in when I visited one area of the United States you know we we have the we as Adventists we're used to these like little tiny um squares of <laughs> of unleavened but then I I visited elsewhere and they had these like big huge pieces uh, it was like, I was like, wow, what is this? And then I visited elsewhere and they had like a whole little loaf that was without the yeast and they were passing it out. Someone else, um, they didn't have grape juice because it was out of season and it was not available in that um, country. So they were using, they were using a different juice because that's all they had. But it was, it was amazing how cultures have adapted the communion service for what they are able to do. So when I see like those big pieces, I'm like, oh man, this is, well, this is dinner, (laughs) you know? And I just get all, I get all happy. But then when you get those little, especially with COVID and we had those little teeny um, styrofoam tasting wafers, you know, that's a whole nother story, y'all. I I, I like the stuff that's baked. Yeah. No, I'm with you, and you can also do it more often than we do it. I know when I was a boarding school principal, at the beginning of every school year, I would do communion with my staff. Nice. And mm-hmm. I, as principal, would wash their feet, okay, setting a precedent for the school year. And uh, so, you know, you, you can do it at different times. It can be uh, a good thing. It doesn't, ha- it doesn't only have to be once a quarter. Um, but we're not, uh, but there, there is no biblical mandate. For sure. That's right. That's um, right. And then we, I think we've already covered the second part to this question. What was the significance of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples? 
Um, I think we've covered that one. What do you think? We have teaching them self-sacrifice. Yeah. Teaching them to step away from pride, being humble, all of that. We've covered that. Yep. And then should we refrain from partaking in communion if we are not speaking on speaking terms with someone else? Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> There's another uh, sermon there. I feel the sermon coming out. Right there. <laughs> I want to jump in on that one. Do it. Do it. Guys, listen. And, and there's a whole sermon connected with this. There is. Our sins can't be forgiven unless we're willing to forgive. Mm -hmm. Okay, guys, there are what I call a reciprocal relationship in the Bible. There are a couple of them, and one of them when it comes to forgiveness. And when it, it's time for the foot washing, we need to seek out that brother or sister. That's right. That we haven't spoken with. That with whom we have some kind of a grudge. Mm -hmm. and it's interesting for me and it's, it's unique for me. I've never worked in a community and I'm going to get in trouble and you're going to yell at me. Where little nah. kids hold grudges. There are little kids at the school that will hold grudge against a friend who stole a Skittle uh, and they'll remember it was a grape Skittle from their desk in kindergarten and they're all the way in the eighth grade. And they still That's have right. And we, we, we got we to forgive that stuff, guys, and we've got to seek that person out, especially if you know you may have been the one who started it. You seek that person out. You get down on your knees in front of them. You hold their hands and you pray together and you wash their feet and you ask for forgiveness so that they can forgive you, so that you can be saved. Listen, the inability to forgive is a huge obstacle for our salvation. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, so, no, we, we should be refraining because that, because the lack of forgiveness is a sin. That's right. Okay. And so we need to be confessing our sins at that time, making everything right at that time. And that's why sometimes I appreciate a church where they have husbands and wives watching each other feed. Sometimes we need to. Sometimes we've sinned right. against our spouse. Sometimes we've been nasty. Sometimes there's stuff going on. And we need to sit down and humble ourselves and wash their feet and beg for forgiveness and start new and fresh. This whole um, this whole service can be a reset for relationships that have been broken. And that's why it's important to have it once a quarter. And that's why you might need to get on the phone, especially nowadays with the disjointed way that we're having church. Get on the phone and say, hey, brother or sister so-and-so, I'm coming for communion. Please be there too. We need to settle this. I need to wash your feet and beg you for forgiveness and have them come. Guys, your salvation is at stake. Your salvation is at stake in this. So please, guys, uh, don't refrain, but use that opportunity to fix what is broken in your relationships. Because I will tell you, when it comes to uh, the biblical foundation, it's all about relationships, our relationships with Jesus Christ and our relationships with fellow believers. Okay, I'm going to quit preaching now. No, but no, no, no. I, I have a question for you. I have a question yeah. for you. So what if, what if you, so you know that, um, Okay, something that there's something bad blood between you and I, Rob, and I'm willing to forgive you. In fact, I've come over and over again to you to beg your forgiveness, and you refuse. So if I'm willing to forgive you, but you're not willing to let go, where does that leave us? 
Well, you know, the ball is in the court of the one who's hold, withholding forgiveness. Okay. And at that point, it's a matter of prayer of the one who has asked forgiveness to soften that person's heart to forgive, and then you've got to move on. You can't carry that anymore. If you've done your best to, to, to close that door and mend that hurt, and the person just isn't willing to forgive, that's a choice that that person is making, and it's a very, un it's a, it's a very unfortunate choice that that person is making. But once you have made a good, solid effort to forgive for your own mental health and for your own spiritual well-being, you need to say, hey, the ball's in their court. I pray for, don't stop praying for them. Don't stop being nice to them. Don't stop reaching out to them. But the ball's in their court at that point. And, and that, that can be a very difficult place to find yourself. Okay. Here's another question. So I'm in counsel. I'm I'm counseling. Um, let's say I'm I'm counseling a married couple, and and they have you know you, you know people have their tally right of yeah. of, of things uh, of things that have been done and haven't done. And so one of them goes, well, remember that thing that you did five years ago. And the other goes, well, yeah, but, uh, you know, um, remember the thing that you did so many years ago. So the question here is, if there is a serial person that does something over and over again, and you, you've forgiven that person, right? You've forgiven, for, you've forgiven them for what they have done to you. But, 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 is it true forgiveness? So a question was asked of me, is it true forgiveness? if you can't forget it. So, so um, one example would be, you know, abuse, right? Do I for, forgive you even though you have hit me so many times or hit so-and-so so many times, do I still forgive you? And then that person hasn't hit again, right? But, uh, but, but do you still be, put yourself in the same room with them? Do you trust them to not hit you again based on what has happened in the past? Is that forgiveness? It's, it's wise that if you're in an abusive situation, because I'll tell you, we live in a world of, world of sin and people struggle with stuff. Okay. Right. If you're dealing with somebody who has an uncontrollable temper, and I mean, I've, I've counseled people where there's been somebody who will, you know, absolutely beat somebody to a pulp and then be heartbroken about it and beg for forgiveness, and then they'll do it again. If you're in that kind of a relationship, get out. Get out, okay? I'm sorry you forgive them. You say, I love you, but this is not safe for me. It's not good for the children. Get out, okay? That's what you need to do. Uh, if you're in that kind of a situation, don't stay and get beat up and then become a crime statistic as a dead wife found in the Everglades somewhere half eaten by alligators, okay? We're, we're not going down that road, okay? So you do forgive and even in leaving, you forgive and you continue to pray for that person and desire the best for them. But if you're in a relationship with somebody who has not overcome their struggle with physical violence or narcissism or anything that is destroying you as a person. You need to you need to remove yourself from the situation, still forgive, but but listen, a, 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 somebody who is a serial abuser, 
is a serial abuser. He's a serial abuser. And mm-hmm. because of the sin that we're dealing with, and guys, we're all dealing with different levels of sin. We forgive, but we need to move on. Okay? I, I, and, and I know that's painful, but we live in a world of sin, but that's the honest truth. Okay? Ah, but, 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 but when we've sought counsel and we have fellow members of of our church whom we've sought counsel with and they tell us that because we choose to leave because we choose to leave our abuser then we are not um we're not abiding by the marriage vows of forgiveness and 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 being with our spouse through thick and thin therefore we're not going to make it into heaven well that's not how it works Okay, guys, um, the, the, you know, it says for, you know, better for worse, for richer and poorer. So if you consider it abuse to have a poor spouse, my wife has the grounds to leave me, um, you know, um, but, but for better or for worse doesn't mean that your spouse has the right to kill you. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that your wife has the, has, has the right to emotionally abuse you to the point where you feel like killing yourself. Okay, mm-hmm. there are things you've got to do, and you can again, you can still forgive and move on, but sometimes you've got to forgive and move on. And mm-hmm. uh, I will tell you also, sometimes as parents, we stay in abusive relationships longer than the children because we mm-hmm. think we're being a good example for our children. But I will tell you, mothers, if you want to teach your daughter how to deal with a hard situation and not put up with abuse, because we tend to marry into the same cycle that we left as children. You need to set an example saying, no, I will not be abused. I will not be beat up. I'm going to protect my children by taking a stand and moving on and showing them how to forgive and showing them how to be kind, but in two separate homes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Separate homes. And so if you're feeling bullied into staying into a truly abusive relationship, now it's not abusive relationship if somebody forgets to clean their body hair out of the trap in the bathtub. That's okay? not abusive, nope. Most, it's nasty. They might need to be reminded to do that again sometime. Okay, I'm talking about physical abuse where they're hauling off and they're slapping you and they're hitting you and they're, they're beating you, they're showing up home drunk, they, they, they are also beating and hurting the children, anything like that, you forgive and then you move on. Um, I don't think there's any relationship that's, any marriage that's to die for. Thank you. And I know, I know that we have digressed a little, but see, these are the things, right? When it comes to communing and stuff, these are the things that some people really struggle with because, you know, can we take communion if if you just beat me up last night and and then you begged me for forgiveness? You know, these these are these are the things that the real world issues that we're we're dealing with. I mean, you (laughs) but you still go to separate homes afterwards. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you don't go to the same house if you're going to go to your mother's house or your father's house or your brother's or your girlfriend's house. But you know, girlfriend's house if you're a woman. <laughs> okay, don't get me in That's trouble. Right. But, That's but, right. No, uh, I'm not getting your show. No. Yeah, but but uh, but but and you still forgive, but you move on and you move away. You got to. That's right. That is right. 
All right. So let's jump into John 13, verse 23. One of them, the disciple who Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Does this verse suggest that Jesus loves some of us more than others? <laughs> oh, this was a funny question. Okay, so, so, so no, it, it doesn't. So let, let's look at the Gospel of John. Actually, the Gospel of John is the only gospel in which it, mens it mentions the disciple whom Jesus loved. Um, John 13, 23, we come across of that, that verse that you just read, one of them, whom the disciple whom Jesus loved was reclined next to him. John 19, John 19, 26, um, declares when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, dear woman, here is your son. And then we have John 21, 7. Then the disciple, hold on, hold on. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And so really, it is only in John in which we find this. And so then you might think it's funny. So is John then saying that he's the one who was most loved by the disciples? Um, no. I don't think so. I think John is using his opportunity here because he's not saying I, John, he's not, he's not identifying himself. It just describes, he's talking, he's talking about himself in third person, right? He's not saying, he's not saying I, John, whom Jesus loved. No, he's describing this. So I believe, I believe that John is describing his interactions with Jesus because he has been transformed. And so he's trying to say, hey, Jesus loves me. I mean, he's the one, John 3, 16, that says, you know, for God so loved the world that he came and gave his only begotten son. So therefore, um, John here is just saying, is just saying that there is no, I don't think, um, one that Jesus loved more. John is just using his book to show how he was transformed. If you look in, if you look in, uh, when we think about David, David was, how do they describe him? How's the Bible describe him? A man after God's own heart, right? And, and, and why was it? You know, he, he repented. He was constantly going after God. But does this mean that, that God loved David more than everyone else under him? No, it doesn't. It, it clearly shows how David just knew God on a whole nother level, you know, and, and, and how he was transformed over and over again. And so my thought is that this is John just describing, and now he's trying to show, you know, this is how God has changed me, how Jesus has changed me. And you, and you, the readers are also, um, open and, and loved by Jesus in the same way. But that's my thought. What do you think? I'm going to toss out a different perspective. Go for it. I, uh, you know, I've been in education for a long time, so I might have a different perspective. As, as teachers, you do have some students you like more than others. Ah, that, doesn't, that's true. 
that doesn't mean you treat them different, you know, you necessarily treat them differently, but there, there is that student that always shows up and gives you the hug in the morning and then there's the other little communist that's gonna put a tack on your chair. You know, it's, it's, it, 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 there, there, are, there, there are different kids in your classroom and there are some that you see them trying harder and they're working harder and they, they're trying to please you. And then there's the other one that really doesn't care and they're picking their nose and flicking their boogers and doing all kinds of nasty stuff. And you can't help but like some more than others. You can't. And Jesus did. He chose the 12. You know, so many times we think that there were only Jesus and these 12 guys potting around Judea together. Not true. Jesus a large group of people, and they weren't all just men, okay? There were women that also went around and took care of them and and, and cooked and baked and loved and and, 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 and supported them. And so, so Jesus chose the 12. John was the youngest by far, and, Mm -hmm. and, 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 and maybe even John joshed with Jesus in front of the other disciples, just in a teasing way. Hey, Jesus, you know you love me more than everybody else. Ah. I've had kids do that to me, too. Oh, Mr. Stevenson, I know you love everybody else, but come on, you know you love me more than every, everybody else. <laughs> there, 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 there's, a kid, there's, a, there's a kid in the school, his name is Patrick, and he always reminds me, hey, Mr. Stevenson, I'm your favorite, aren't I? He sees me every single day. I'm your favorite, aren't I? When we're playing, when I'm chasing Miranda recess hey mr stevenson your favorite students over here you know so it may have been a running joke between john and the other disciples this may have been something just tossed in because he may have joked with jesus like that when they were hanging out well you know i know you love everybody but you love me just a little more come on admit it jesus you love me just a little more okay so there may have been that dynamic you know one of the things that we fail to recognize when we read the scripture is that these guys did have a sense of humor you know, mm. when you read the part where Jesus walked on the waters of the disciples out in the boat, he knew he was going to scare the living daylights out of them, okay? And I think he was laughing all the way to the boat, okay? So, so I, 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 just, I just, you know, so, so we, we, we fail to see the humor in it. Maybe I see more humor in it than I should. But, but I think it was sort of a running joke between John and Jesus that John was the one who Jesus loved the most. I like that perspective. Well, when you think about it then, so, um, well, I didn't want to throw on this one perspective because it would look as if I was kind of biased. Um, but Jesus did give his mother to John, yeah. right? So who would you give your mother to? The one that you trust the most. Right. The one whom you know is going to take care of them. And so that for me was the defining factor of the different type of relationship that John had um, with Jesus. And I, I know what you mean about kids, because I, I have my fourth one, Polly, who's always telling me, mother, I'm your favorite child, right? I mean, yeah. in, in front of every, in front of all his brothers. And I have to be that the, the unbiased mom. Like, I love all of you all of you the same right but you just love me just extra more that's why i'm going to come and give you an extra hug at bedtime so yes you have that child who 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 always poke (laughs) it is a running joke it is a running joke yes i like i like that thought i do all right so let's we're running out of time here and we're all we're almost done here john 14 verse 12 very uh very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these 
because I am going to my father. How can we do greater works than Jesus? Mm, that's an excellent question. And, and, and this came with research too, but really it's truly very, it, it's truly an, a simple answer. Jesus was able to do all that he did, not only because, and we're talking about his miracles, you know, especially, especially I guess the biggest ones for Jesus was raising people from the dead. You know, he was able to do that because not he, he was both human and divine. He was able to he had that power from the father. And so when he said when he said, you know, I'm going to go to my father now, I'm going to send down to you um, the Holy Spirit. Now you're going to do things greater. You know, how can we possibly do things greater? But now we think about it. The greater thing is now we are. He's given us the gospel to to proclaim that has been the, the greatest, our great commission to go and make disciples out of all nations. So the greater miracle here is the way we are able to convert people to Christ. Jesus had it because he was doing things. He was doing things with his hands. He was physically in people's faces, um, healing their deformities. And you can always get a deformity healed. I'm, how many, sometimes I wonder how many people were healed, right, in Jesus' day, but still did not accept him as <clears throat> Christ and Savior, right? They were just like, well, thank you for the healing. I was been waiting for that all my life. Um, now I'm just gonna go about my business. So there is a greater miracle here where Jesus is saying, you're going to do greater things now because you're going to convert people in my name. Right. So see what we're, we're able to do now. Nowadays, we have stadiums filled with all these faith conventions, stadiums of thousands of people that, you know, are worshiping. We have Zoom. Um, we don't have church. You know, Satan's like, well, let's give you all a virus so that everyone empties out the churches, but then he underestimates technology and, and what we can do. Now we're reaching the masses through YouTube and, and, and whatever social media aspect that we have. And so we have this conversion power now through the Holy Spirit to convert so many people at one time. And this is the greater miracle that, that Jesus is saying that, we're doing because he is he's giving us the holy spirit and able to do so yeah yeah no, also christ's ministry was was limited to judea mm -hmm. we've gone to the whole world that's right that and so when you think of it globally you know there the, have the, been healings and those kinds of things but you think globally how we've 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 taken the gospel and spread it to much of the world um that 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 Jesus did a lot right there in Judea, a little bit in Samaria, um, and and, and uh, you know near Sidon and Tyre, but really just geographically in that just that area, yeah. right? And and so you know we have done some great stuff in Jesus' name by mm -hmm. His power and spread the word. So yep, okay, let, let's move on. Um, th th this is a long one. Again, Jen, this is a tough one for me because this is a whole sermon. Yes, it is. Let's try to keep this, let's try to keep this one short because we're running out of time. The vine and the branches. Can you please explain this passage and how does it re relate to salvation? Uh, keep, I'm going to let you take this. You want me to take this? I'm going to take, take this. Guy. 
we got to stay connected to Jesus Christ, okay? That's right. This is the vine, okay? He is the source of our nourishment. And, mm-hmm. um, and we've got to stay connected to him. That means we've got to stay connected to the scripture. That means we've got to stay connected to the other vine, the other branches, which are the others. Christians that we're around in the community so that we stay connected and we feed each other. And then, and then the branches need to produce fruit. If you're not producing fruit, guys, you're not connected. And if That's you're right. not connected, you're going to get pruned off. That's all part of the stuff. You're going to get cut off and unfortunately get thrown in the fire. Okay. So, right. so, you know, we need to make sure that we're not only connected to Jesus Christ, but one of the signs that we're connected with him is that there are going to be fruits in our lives. So that means we've got to be sharing Christ with the people who we are around, the people who we work with. It. We'll work, our families, be involved in our church programs, all of those things so that there can be a positive fruit as a result of us being connected to Jesus Christ. <gasps> That's it. Woo, that was no, oh, there, there's one thing I also wanted to say about that. So um, the vines, vines are low, right? Pretty low to the ground. Maybe like one a couple a couple feet off. And and I love how one author described it as the lowliness of a vine demonstrates the humility, humility. of Jesus. Beautiful. You know, because it's a, a it, it has a close, permanent, vital union between the vine and the branches. It's a symbol of belonging. And so I was like, whoa, the loneliness of the vine. Boom. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. All right. Real quick. And there's a short answer to this one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe um, by that name that you gave me. None has been lost except one doomed to destruction so that the scriptures could be fulfilled. Who was the one doomed for destruction? Judas Iscariot. Judas, let's move on. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. This is John 20, verse 23. And this is an important one, especially as we deal deal with our Catholic brothers and sisters. Mm. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Didn't we cover this slightly? Slightly. But the bottom line with this one, guys, is, and, and he's speaking specifically to the leaders of the church at, the church at this time, okay? So he's talking to the 12. He's not talking to everybody. He's talking about the leaders of the church, okay? And there are times in the church and in the denomination, if somebody is way off base and, and really, really not following the scripture and are leading other people astray, okay, we need to tell them, guys, listen, you're on shaky ground and you're not going to make it to the kingdom and, and right. tell you to come back and repent. And then if they come back and repent and say, yes, I've done my Bible study, I've been wrong, please take me back, we've got to take them back, okay? So so he's, he's telling us we've got to be discerning. We can't let any Tom, Dick, and Harry spewing whatever rubbish they want to spew into our churches and causing destroying mm. our programs and, 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 and spreading heresy that are going to lead people away, okay? And so we need to use good judgment. And then they're saying in those cases, those people who we've sent away, God is going to send away too, but also when we bring them back in, God's going to bring them back in, okay? But does that mean that we have the right? No. God is still ultimately the judge. Mm-hmm. He's also right. telling us to use good judgment. Christ was looking forward to the day where those 12 were going to be leaders of a new movement that was going to spread throughout the world. But he's not saying that humanity has the power to forgive sins. That's right. 
but we have been given the ability to recognize them, right. deal with them. That's right. Yeah, let's jump in there. Jesus uh, taken to heaven. This is an interesting one. I actually spent a little bit of time studying this. Is there any evidence outside the Bible? Outside of the Bible, it, yeah. I found hard. one. I did find did. one. I did. I couldn't find anything. Okay, what did you find? Okay. Um, there was a Roman historian called Felagon. Okay, and he's the only one that mentions it. There were several Roman historians that spoke about Jesus Christ being on earth and healing the sick and all that stuff. Okay, so you've got Thallius, you've got... Um, You've got Maraban Shepon, you've got Pliny the Younger, you've got Centinius, you've mm. got uh, mm. Lucian of, of Sumatra, you've got Silius, and you've got Josephus. But this guy uh, was a Roman historian that, that, that uh, was writing his histories between 8 and 14 AD, and he spoke of the resurrection. He's the only one. Okay. Wow. What, what was his name again? His name is, okay, it is spelled P-H-L-E-G-O-N. Felagon. Huh. Okay. And so I found him. He's the only one that mentions it. All the others do mention Jesus Christ. They mention his miracles. They mention his death and resurrection. And there's even mention um, of some of them about how he must have been the son of God, how the whole world went dark at his crucifixion, and that he was definitely somebody very, very special. Uh, so, okay, so, the, so, so Christ's existence was covered, but, the, but this is the only one where he spoke specifically of the fact that he was resurrected. All, not, all the others did not. Nice, nice. It took, it took me a while and a lot of Googling to get there. Because I, <laughs> I could not, no matter what I did in Google, I could not. So you must have asked a million-dollar question to, <laughs> to find that one because I was like, huh, no, it's, everything's biblical. Where, 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 where are we coming from here? No, that's yeah. good. I'm glad you found that. So I, I did find one, and let's jump into the next one. And uh, Okay, and then... Are all the re resurrection accounts from the four Gospels similar? If not, how can we reconcile them? Um, the, For the uh, most part, they're similar, I believe. Um, let's see, Matthew, for the most part, several of them... Um, mention Mary Magdalene coming to the tomb but you know so for in Matthew different different people are saying um the guards there's a report from the guard in Matthew there's the great commissioning Mark we have Mary Magdalene mentioned again and now Jesus appearing to Mary Magdalene that's a whole new one um in, in Luke, it talks about, again, the, the women going to the tomb. Now, here, here we do have Mary Magdalene. Now, Luke talks about the road to Emos um, and Jesus appearing in the upper room to his disciples. Here, it talks about the ascension. And in John, we come across Mary Magdalene again and Jesus appearing in the upper room. We talk about Jesus and Thomas and right there you go so for the most part all the accounts are similar um 
And we have to remember that how we can reconcile them is that each of the writers had a different perspective. And so because everyone had a different perspective, because not everything was the same, then you have the proof that there was no collusion to make the stories the same, right? And I think that's vital. Even when the police are looking for um, testimonies, they right. immediately become suspicious if everybody's testimonial is exactly the same. That's right. Because then, then they, they fear collusion. And there was a, a classic example I read when I was looking at this of, of, of the people who were there where JFK got shot when he was in Texas. Mm. And there were many people who had different perspectives based on what they saw. They were all there, but they saw a different aspect of it. And so mm -hmm. we to recognize that these were, not only were these gospels written um, by, by different people, but they were written at different times. That's and right. they were and the book of John is the only one written by, by somebody who is actually a direct disciple of Jesus. All the mm -hmm. others were not, okay? And so they collected the stories from other people, and they compiled them and put them together, and they used other sources, okay? So they weren't even all firsthand, um, first-hand testimonials, okay? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we want to understand how that all went together. So, so that's where we are there. Let's just jump into the last one. Here and this is Acts 6, verse 1 through 4, the choosing of the seven. Okay, so this one is should we allow gambling when it comes to choosing elders? <laughs> so that, that's sort of the underlying sub, so, so, you know, subtext here. Should we use a similar project, uh, process to nominate deacons in the church? Were there deaconesses in the church? Okay, that's for you and me there, Jen. So, um, here, why, why don't you answer the first part and I'll answer the second? Okay, it's a deal. So, um, casting of lots is, is not a bad way to make a choice if all of your choices are good ones. Okay, so if you've got, you know, you've got a whole you know, room full of people and you've got to choose, you know, who they are and you want to show that you're perfectly impartial and so you, you're working on, on, on the political angle of it. Which is what they were what they were dealing with there, because they had a room full of fervent believers who were willing to literally die for the truth. Okay, so in that case, you've got a room full of excellent candidates, and it's hard to choose the right one because they're all winners. Okay, so that this way, they are actually giving the Holy Spirit an opportunity to point out which one God is choosing. Mm -hmm. uh, saying this should be standard procedure, but that was the thought in the way that they were doing it back then. So when they're drawing lots, the person who gets either the longest or the shortest straw, depending on how they wanted to do it, you know, usually the longest straw is the one who wins, okay, that, that's how they're going to choose and they can be able to say, look, the Holy Spirit has chosen and there was no, um, there was no malice. There was that this was this was something done that was led by God, and so it avoided any pl political ramifications of well, Peter just chose him because he was Peter's buddy. Okay, and so so I've actually been in meetings, believe it or not, where, where they chose to do this. We've got good people. We want to make sure it's objective, and so we're going to do it this way. Okay, and so they they, them, they did it, and some people drew. Okay, very uncommon to do it that way. But, wow. It's not wrong to do it that way. And of course, culturally, our church has moved away from that. But um, it, it's, an, it, it's an interesting way to make a choice when you've got a room full of people, of talented and capable individuals, and you want to give the Holy Spirit the final word. 
So you're saying you've witnessed people go into leadership via the drawing of lots. I haven't done it with leadership. I've done this as a high school principal, okay, where you've got to choose somebody for a leadership position in a class or something. You've got like five people up there. You want to choose the right person, and they're all equally, and the, the everybody agrees this is, these are the three or the four or the five people we want to choose from, and then you can go ahead and draw lots. Um, Has I, it I turned out well? Yeah, it did actually. Turned out, turned out fine. And again, they were all good choices. So I think it would have turned out well regardless of who we chose. Um, but, but, but this way, no one's feelings are hurt. Um, there's an element of randomness to it. And again, you give the Lord a chance. To That's step right. And you, and you do it prayerfully. They just didn't just randomly. They said, okay, Lord, we're making this choice. Please let it be known through this methodology. I think one of the things that we fail to do sometimes as Christians is we ask the Lord to answer our prayers but then we don't give him a way to answer them. <laughs> yep, yep. Okay, we fail to do that. And then we, we, the, 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 the subtitles is, the Lord, please help me as I make this really, really stupid choice. But if we give <laughs> the Lord an opportunity to answer it, and this is, this is a way where we've got five good people here, or seven or 12, however many, and, and we need to choose, Lord, and, and we are comfortable with any of them, but we want it to be your choice, this is a way to do it. That's right way to do it and so we've again we've moved away a little bit from that maybe we're uncomfortable with a little bit it's outside of our cultural framework but it doesn't make it an illegitimate way to choose a a, a leader or a successor it doesn't necessarily make it that way that is right that is right the last question were there deaconesses in the bible now um there were we had phoebe lydia priscilla Aquila. So those are named named women. However, then when we think about other women who were literally just following Jesus and even contributing of their finances to help him with the ministry, those I would consider deaconesses as well. Um, we have what about Dorcas, Dorcas, who did things for the poor? What about all those women who gathered and went and gathered all the spices and went to embalm Jesus's body? So perhaps some of those women don't have the word deaconess beside their name, but, you know, they were there always um, helping Jesus in his ministry. So, yes, we there were deaconesses in the Bible. Yep, yep. I, I can live with that answer. I like it. <laughs> Short yeah. and sweet. Yeah, yes, it is. And, and and with that bombshell, I think, yeah, we, we are we are definitely a little over time. And so let's just jump into the conclusion here. Um, please read next week, Acts 8 through 12. Okay. 21. 21. Is it 21? Oh, yes. 8 through 21. Yeah, sorry. Dyslexic moment there. Okay. <laughs> yes. Through eight through through twenty one. Okay, I love the Book of Acts, guys. Book of Acts is full of cool stories. Okay, and so the first half of Acts is the creation of the Christian Church. Okay, the second half of Acts is Paul and his missionary journeys. Okay, and they're really really cool. For the, for those of you who who may have gone to um, the uh, the Carl Spring Seventh Day Adventist Church last Sabbath, that's what I preached on. I preached on Paul and Silas. Okay. So the, that, that's what's going on in Acts. And, and what I love about the book of Acts, you, you're going you're gonna to find 
Peter's dream, telling him that he was a bigoted Jew and he needed to go and allow um, to, uh, allow the the Gentiles into the church. Okay, so the Lord sends him a, a, a sheet down full of creepy crawlies, and he said, "Peter, eat the creepy crawlies." He says, "No, Lord, they're gross." He said, "Eat them, they're gross." And he got that dream three times, and then finally he got to re realize he had to go to Cornelius's house and and then tell these Roman icky icky gentiles about jesus christ okay and and then after he told the icky icky gentiles before they were even baptized they received the holy spirit god telling them now you're going to baptize them and he went to the brethren and said what do we do these icky icky gentiles now have the holy spirit can we baptize them okay and so no we have to baptize them because the icky gentiles have the holy spirit so they we've got to let them into the club okay so i mean there's those kinds of cool stories that are going on in there guys that, that, that you that you're really going to enjoy Getting in the book of Acts. Look for look for the stories. Look look how these people started God's church. It's absolutely mm -hmm. amazing. Okay, so we're going through. I'm just going to pull pull out my Bible here and go to seven. Okay. And we have to remember too, right? So that that um, story that you just put out, you know that a lot of people use that just that text to to talk about how we should not eat unclean food. Believe it or not, they use that. For that, but that whole that whole text that you just talked about was talking about the conversion yeah. of people. So that's why you got to go read. That's that's right. And Peter, I guarantee you, Peter never went out and ate a snake. I <laughs> not going to happen. We talk about how the church was persecuted and scattered, and because it was persecuted, it grew. Okay, guys. One of the problems I think in the North American churches were not being persecuted enough. Okay, and oh, that's say that again. because it was through persecution that the church grew and we still see it in our church today. When does the church finally split off and, and, and grow another church when there's dissension in the church and a group goes off and starts the next one? Okay, so persecution, if we see Philip um, dealing with the Ethiopian in chapter nine, we see Paul's conversion, which is a fantastic story. I love that one. Okay, and then we read about Dorcas again and then. This is uh, in 10. That's the story of Cornelius' uh, call, call to Peter. One of my coolest, favorite stories. you got to read that one. Right. Peter's vision and all that stuff. Okay. And then 11, the brethren come to Peter and they're all grumpy with him. Okay. And Peter has to explain his actions. I had to baptize him because the Holy Spirit was in him. Okay. I love that story. Okay. Um, the church growing in Antioch. Um, Peter has a miraculous escape from prison, which is really, really awesome. You're going to see that in 12. Read that story. It's amazing. Um, Barnabas and Paul get sent off together, okay? And they go to Cyprus and start traveling around. Um, uh, and, then, and then there's the list of the different churches and how they started in Icium and Lystra and Derb, um, returning to Antioch from, from Syria. And when you read it, look at the maps in your Bible and see where these places are, okay? Don't just read it and go over it. Pull out the maps in your Bible and see where they are. It's really interesting because these guys weren't flying. They were walking and going on sail. Yeah. Okay? This mm -hmm. is stuff. They talk about the first council of Jerusalem where Paul had to go back and make his case that we don't need to circumcise all these poor new converts that we're bringing in and, and that we, we, we need to make it easy for them to come in. And, so, and, and, and how the Jews thought that that was absolutely terrible because they were watering down the, their, their belief system. And all that, all that politics into starting the new church. If you think there are politics in your church today. Politics about, then. From day one, it's been there, okay, guys? So you're going to find that stuff, 
Okay, disagreements, disagreements between Paul and Barnabas. Yes, Paul and Barnabas had a disagreement. Mm -hmm. Okay, read about what that was about. I'm not going to do a spoiler there, but it doubled the efforts. The Lord can take even disagreements between us and make great things come of it. Okay, so 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 that's in two. Um, Paul has a vision about a man in Macedonia. Then you've got Paul and Silas in prison. That is 16. And then Paul in Thessalonica, Paul in Berea, Paul in Athens. Okay, talking to those, those brainy Athenians. Paul in Corinth, um, Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos and then different people. And Apollos, it's, read about Apollos. That's an interesting one, guy, because this is, this is somebody who was baptized into John's baptism at least, mm. and, and then was preaching solid gospel, but hadn't received the Holy Spirit yet. And so they, they and he was a better preacher, pre, pre, preacher than Paul. I mean, this guy could preach up a storm. And so he was added to, to the mix. And then Paul in Ephesus, the riot in Ephesus. So there's even riots. Okay, guys, it's going to keep you awake. There's riots going on in this thing. Okay. Um, through Macedonia and Greece. And then uh, Paul's Farewell, and then in 21, which is as far as we're going to go, is Paul going to Jerusalem. And Paul was begged not to go to Jerusalem, and mm -hmm. he went there. And he went. Anyway, and so I'm sure there's right. going to be a lot of groovy questions about why on earth Paul went there. But he went there, he went to Jerusalem, and he uh, got himself into all kinds of trouble when he was there. So you're going to read some good stuff. This is exciting stuff, guys. This is stuff that's hard to put down. You're going to enjoy this reading. Read it with friends and family. These are stories you can read to your kids. Um, one of my favorite stories in, in 17 is, is the sons of Sceva and, and them trying to cast out a demon and then and being unsuccessful and being chased down the street naked by a demon-possessed man. Cool right. story. Okay, so, so guys, go ahead and read this. Have fun with it. You're going to enjoy it, okay? Um, so that's what's going to go on next week. Jen, as always, it's a pleasure. Same here. A pleasure to be doing Bible Unmasked with you. Who is hosting us? Who's who's hosting our episode next week? So let me see who is doing that. I think I've got, oh yes, it's Dexter and his wife, Liz Thomas. And you'll love Dex. He's great. He's hilarious. You're going to enjoy his, ask Dexter some hard questions just for me. Uh, Dexter and Liz are going to be doing that. They're, they're great. They do a great job, and you're going to be enjoying his commentary. Uh, but before COVID, we were in the same Sabbath school class, and man, I love that man. So you guys are going to have a, have a good time with that. And um, let's see. Please remember to subscribe to Plantation SDA Church YouTube channel so you can automatically be note no be be reminded of future episodes on the live stream, okay? Please make sure you, you, you get in there because guys, this is great stuff and it's a great way to read the Bible and be turbocharged to move next week. Jen, would you end with prayer tonight? Yes, I will. Thank you, Rob, for another fun and enlightening Bible Unmasked episode. Always, always, always such a pleasure hosting and presenting with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, what a privilege it is, Father, to have opened up your word, to have learned more about you, to have learned how you taught us, Father, about humility and how to um, and how to serve, Father. And I know, Lord, that there are more 
questions that are burning on the hearts of our viewers. And so, Lord, I ask that as the series continues, that more and more people come to know you more, Lord, and not just know you more, but yearn for that dose of your love and to have that relationship with you. So thank you, Father, for being with us today. Thank you for guiding the questions and the answers, Father. And most of all, thank you for this opportunity, this wonderful opportunity to serve you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Plantation SDA Church presents The Bible Unmasked. Read your Bible daily and join us every Sunday at 7.30pm for our weekly discussion. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation, let's read the entire Bible in 2021 with The Bible Unmasked.